Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And do you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. That's pretty good. That's a little bit better than 9 a.m. did the first time. I'll ask you again, though, just for the fun of it. Good morning. Um, It's good to be with you. If you're a guest with us, my name's Drew. I'm the pastor of Discipleship, and I'm looking forward to walking through this passage. If you're not familiar with the church calendar, um, yes, we have one, a church calendar. Amazing. Today's Epiphany Sunday. What does that mean? Well, we are looking at the journey an unexpected journey of the wise men seeking Jesus and looking more deeply at what that means. I know it's a story that we've probably heard a lot, but there's actually some real significance to it that we probably miss or maybe overlook, and it has a lot to do with belonging. Belonging is something we all want, something we all desire. Maybe it's why you're here this morning. Whether you're a guest, whether you've been here for years, looking for a place to belong, looking for a place to be known. We don't want to do life alone because we were never intended to do life alone. We don't want to be disconnected. Even though sometimes we push against that idea, at the deepest place in our heart, we want to belong. We want to be known. And sometimes we can really struggle with that. I don't know if you've ever felt like you don't belong. You've questioned your belonging. Is this a place for me? Is there a place for me? It can be uncomfortable at times. It can be something that can be really difficult. When I was thinking about this passage this morning, I thought back to my freshman year of college. And when I signed up for classes, I did it pretty hastily. Because I really didn't care what I signed up for. I was more interested in the weekends than the week. And uh, I signed up for a Spanish class. And no big deal. Roll in. And so as I went this first day to this Spanish class, I sat down. And what I noticed is that the teacher came in, and she immediately started speaking Spanish. All right, no big deal. But then I noticed that everyone else in the class also started speaking Spanish. 
And uh, I noticed that she was going student to student and asking them questions, questions I didn't know, because I didn't speak Spanish, spoiler alert. And they were responding in Spanish, and I knew that eventually she would come to me, and let me just say this, when she did, incredibly awkward. I can't say anything back to her, and we both quickly realized I did not belong there. In uh, hastily signing up for classes, I signed up for Advanced Spanish 3, mainly meant for seniors and people who already spoke it fluently, and I did not, so we changed classes. But I say all that to say this idea of belonging is going to pop up in this passage and really be a centering point for us, and so I want you to think about that. What has it felt like not to belong? What does it mean really to belong? The beauty is, is that God, in the midst of all of this and our struggle and tension and, and this idea of belonging, fitting in, measuring up, whatever it may be that we feel, he says this very truthfully, there's a place for you here. As you are, there's a place for you here. And we'll dive into that more. And I hope this passage is encouraging to you today, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you came in with. There's beauty in this gospel message. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for this word. Would you speak to us now? And Holy Spirit, would you move in a powerful way to engage our hearts and our minds? And would you, would you shift our hearts and our minds more closely toward your heart? Jesus, would you show us your great love? As we sang that song, God really loves us. Sometimes that's hard for us to believe for a number of reasons. But would you make that such a deeply rooted truth in our heart today that it changes everything about how we think about ourselves, others, you, and live our life? Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to dive in. Matthew chapter 2. As I said, this is a story you've probably heard before, and we're going to walk through this. So Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship. So first off, who are these wise men? Did they just know a lot? Were they incredibly wise? Did somebody say, Hey, you guys look smart, you're wise men? No, no, no. These were astrologers. They studied the sky, they studied the stars, they were highly educated. We also know further on in the passage, they were um, pretty wealthy. They had means. They would have been highly esteemed. And so they're coming, it says, they're seeking this, this uh, king of the Jews. So how do they know about this coming king? Well, most likely they lived hundreds of miles from Israel. But yet they were familiar with the Old Testament prophecies from Jewish people who had been forced to settle in their cities. And so they heard these stories, they heard these accounts, they probably dug deeper into those, asked questions, and they knew that there was this coming king. Think about what the Old Testament says, what it prophesies, for to us a child is born, a son is given, we see this in Isaiah, right? The government will be on his shoulders, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Now, being the future king of the Jews in and of itself wouldn't have been that great of a thing. I mean, think about it this way. Somewhere, alive right now in America, there are probably three or four children, young people, under the age of 18 that will be president someday. That's cool. But 
It's not keeping you up at night. It's not taking over the news every day. No one's seeking them out, trying to find them, right? There was something different here. So what did the wise men really mean by king of the Jews? Well, verse 44, to cheat down a little bit, it shows us. It says, gathering together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ or Messiah was to be born. Herod had been called king of the Jews by the Roman Senate for over 40 years. But he was never called the Christ. He was never called the Messiah. This was significant. This was a title reserved for one and one alone. The one that was prophesied that was coming. Literally meaning the long-awaited God-anointed ruler who would overcome all other rule, establishing this kingdom of God, this kingdom never to be taken, never to be destroyed. This kingdom would be like unlike any other because this king would be unlike any other. He would essentially level the playing field of humanity in a way that had never been experienced before. So why is this journey of the wise men to see Jesus This baby that's been born lowly in a manger in a nowhere town of Bethlehem. Why is this significant? Here's why. And this is amazing. This is good news for all of us today. Because as we're about to see, the first worshipers of Jesus, they were not religious leaders. The first worshipers of Jesus were not Jewish elite. The first worshipers of Jesus are Gentile, non-Jewish not from the line of Abraham, not raised under the law, not upholding the law, seen as unclean outsiders. But all of a sudden, with the birth of Jesus, everything's getting flipped on its head. All of a sudden, those who have been called outsiders are now given the opportunity to be insiders. Everything is changing. Everything is shifting This is amazing. That is good, right? Yeah. In these first verses and at the very end of this book, I love what Matthew does in this gospel. He's showing that Jesus, unlike any king before or since, is not only the one true Messiah, but he's the one true Messiah for all nations, for all people, no matter where you're from, no matter what you have or don't have. He is for you. He is there to welcome you, not just for the Jews, which would have been mind-blowing. At the end of Matthew, the last words are, are this of Jesus, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. This isn't just good news for some. It's good news for anyone that will hear it and believe it. And you don't have to bring anything to the table. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove that you're worth it. He's saying, come as you are. This open door, this open invitation to every man, woman, and child, regardless of where you came from, who you came from, or what baggage you came with. These words of Isaiah that have been prophesied so many years before are now coming into reality. Look at this, Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. 
in this kingdom that's compromised of all nations, of all people, imagine this coming together. Here's what matters. It's heart over wealth. It's compassion over platform. It's kindness over judgment. It's love over hate, and it's an allegiance to Jesus above all. Under this Messiah, inside of this kingdom, there are no more outsiders, no more less than, no more outcasts. There's no more, I don't know if you really belong here. Isn't that great? (laughs) This weight that's being lifted on the world, that there's hope. I love this. There are only accepted, adopted, full family rights, no longer wandering, no longer lost, found and loved children. How loved? Because this can be tough to believe, right? You know yourself well. I know myself well. There are days that I wake up and I wonder, how could anybody, why would you want to love me? God, you know what I've done. You know what I've thought. You know where I've like not been the kindest, maybe not been the most generous, maybe just, man, I'm struggling. It's hard. I keep giving into things I don't want to give into. I keep wrestling with things. Uh, yeah, I yelled at them again today. Yikes. Do you really love me? Do you really want to know me? Because I don't even want to look in the mirror at myself and God says absolutely yes, without a doubt. I love what Augustine says. This is a great line. He says, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Think about that. Hold on to it. Embrace it today. Imagine that. Jesus looks at you today. He says, love. Love. We could end there, but we're going to keep going. He flips acceptance on its head, which is amazing. Think about it, looking around. He says, you, you can, you can be in my kingdom. Wait, me, you can be in my kingdom. The outcast, the one, the one who's had to stay outside of the city walls, the unaccepted, the sick, the broken, you can come into this kingdom. The lonely, the one with mental health issues, the one with all kinds of other health issues, you're welcomed in. The prostitute, you can come into this kingdom. The murderer, you can now come into this kingdom. The thief, you can come into this kingdom. The liar of all nations. How's that possible, Grace grace, grace upon grace. So here's our big idea, is that this gospel, the gospel, isn't just good news for some, but it does require a response from all. And here's the first response that we see. It's Herod's response. So these astrologers that come to Jerusalem, they're looking for this child, and they say, hey, where is this king of the Jews? Where is this Messiah? Picking up in verse 3, when Herod and the king, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, or Messiah, was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. As they ask this question, it gets back to Herod, and his response isn't one of celebration and joy. What is it? It's a response of fear. Here's a little background on Herod if you're interested. Here's the kind of king Herod was. You're going to get a little history lesson today. He was a Jewish by practice, but he was more of a puppet uh, to Rome, really, in his leadership. He was consumed by luxury. He built building after building and literally put his name all over it. He also loved lavish things. 
He figured out a way to preserve dates and figs that would last for years and stored up more and more and more of them. So many that there were archaeologists in the 1940s that discovered one of his storerooms and it was still filled with food that he had stored from 2,000 years ago. You're like, what's that recipe? How do we pull that off? He was also consumed by power. He was incredibly paranoid of losing it. He killed his wife because he believed that she was trying to conspire against him. And just for safe measure, he also killed her mother and her brother. And then years later, he killed his son's three sons for fear of the same thing. He couldn't stand the thought of losing power. It meant everything to him. He only cared about prospering himself. You can see this in his life. He cared about his standing before men. He wanted approval. He wanted to be praised. Once he was short on money and the kingdom was short on money and so he had 45 of the wealthiest people in the land executed and took over their land and homes. And if that's not wild enough, here we go. On his deathbed, check this out, he ordered that dozens of other noblemen be put to death at the very moment of his death because he wanted the entire land to mourn his passing and he was afraid that his death alone wouldn't be enough to cause this sort of response. You're like, well, this guy sounds crazy. A little bit. Luckily, that command wasn't carried out. As soon as he died, they're like, we're not doing this. But that's a little bit on Herod. You're like, wow, what a maniac. How in the world? That's crazy. Now, although I can't relate with Herod's actions throughout his life, I can relate with the root cause of his response when he hears this news of Jesus as king. Inside of him, he was afraid that he was going to lose potentially what he valued the most. That bending a knee to this king would mean that he would lose his power. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to stay in control. And he feared what this new king meant. Even though this king was a young baby, he feared what could happen. He wanted to be praised among men. He couldn't imagine praising someone else or bending his knee. He liked things the way that they were, comfortable, according to plan. And he saw this new king as a threat. What stands out in Herod? A desire for control, praise, approval, and comfort. Can you relate with any of those? We all can, right? We struggle with this. I love Jesus, but every single day I feel this tension between worshiping him and my desire for control, between worshiping him and my desire for approval, between worshiping him, my desire to fit in and do whatever it takes to do that, my desire in worshiping him to be praised myself, comfort, all of these things to create this tension, this pushback, this reality that we're still fighting with the flesh. We feel this tension. I feel it. Trying to manipulate God in a way that he gives me what I want when I want it, and he is who I want when I want him to be it, but not when I don't, and he doesn't do what he does when I don't want him to. That's a really long sentence. We're going to move on. But this manipulation, and where does this really get us? Think about it. We end up discouraged. We end up competing with others. We end up worn out. We end up dragged down, paranoid. Maybe we sit in self-hate. We feel lonely. We feel confused. Always striving, never being filled. Wondering where hope is going to come from. 
And I know this is hard, man, especially when things aren't going great. You're like, I need to step in. I need to control this. I need to, and, and, and yet he points us to a better way. These are real responses we have to Jesus and his gospel, even as Christians who love him. But this isn't the only way we can respond. Continuing, Herod gathers these religious leaders and he tries to nail down where this child has been born and they give him the answer. They base this back on the Old Testament. They reference Micah 5. They say he's born in Bethlehem. And if you don't know much about Bethlehem, it's not a a large city. It's about six miles outside of Jerusalem. But although it seems like an insignificant location, Jesus isn't the first king to be born here. This was actually David's hometown. This is where the prophet Samuel anointed him to be king over Israel. This is the family line that the promised Messiah would come from. As Matthew says in the first line of the book, the son of David. God's hand all over this. And so then Herod summons the wise men secretly and he detained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for this child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may also go and worship him. Spoiler alert, he does not want to worship Jesus. We're not going to get to these verses today, but the only thing that Herod wants is for this child to be found and put to death because of the threat that he feels on his kingship, on what matters to him most. His fear and selfishness lead to this resentment for this newborn. But with these wise men, there's a very different response. Look at these last verses. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child, the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. How did they respond? It says worship. Worship. They are filled with this joy that's only possible by a move of the Holy Spirit revealing to them, this is him. This is the one that's actually worthy of your worship. This is the one that's worthy of you bending a knee to. This is the one that's worthy of you giving your entire life to, that you can trust, that has you in the ups and the downs and everywhere in between. This is the Christ. Not one God among many, the God, the creator of the universe who holds it together and holds you together. Amazing. They worship They're filled with joy, humility. It's phenomenal. And out of that worship, they humbly give these valuable gifts, each gift carrying its own significance. When you think about the gift of gold, that was important, especially given to Christ, this child, because it was symbolic of his divinity, that this was truly God in the flesh come to live among men. You think about frankincense, it's this highly fragrant um, spice that's when burned, um, it smells amazing and was used in worship as this pleasant offering to God. We see that in Exodus 30. Frankincense, this symbol of holiness and righteousness. And myrrh, this one's bittersweet. A spice used for embalming. 
Why would you give that to a child? Because this was symbolic of his future death. This baby born to die. You see, this is a great kingdom. A king over all nations, welcoming all sorts of people in and not making them pay on their way in. But there had to be a payment. It was a great kingdom that came at a great cost. And Jesus is the one born to die. Jesus is the one that would live that perfect life. Jesus is the one that would step in, in our place. It cost a great deal. He would take our worst. He would take our sin. He would take our rebellion. He would take our hate. He would take our pride. He would take our seeking approval. He would take our seeking comfort. He would take all of the things that we've made into many gods and have decided to worship. He would take all of it on his back to the cross. Not because he was forced, but out of love. A kind of love this world has never experienced because he's a kind of king this world had never seen and would never see again. A king of an eternal kingdom, welcoming kids of all kinds, of all races, of all sex, of all everything (laughs) into this kingdom. The gospel is good news with an open invitation to all people. So the question is really, how how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this news that we've heard? Well, either we can be like the wise men in some ways and we can respond in humility and we can respond in worship and we can actually unclench our fists and say, hey, you've got my life, I, I believe, I trust, you are my savior. And, and although it's going to be difficult, and it's not going to be perfect, and there's going to be this tension, I am going to strive to worship you above all else. I'm going to trust you above all else. With me, with my family, with those around me, with the, the world that I live in, I believe that you and you alone are worthy to be praised. Or we see how Herod responds. He pushes back. He feels threatened. He doesn't want to give up. He wants that control. He wants all these things that we also wrestle with. But when we choose to respond in worship, when we press into that first and foremost, part of our response is first recognizing the depths of this grace, this amazing grace that Jesus offers, that we're completely unworthy of this love and kindness. We aren't entitled this kind of love, this kind of care, this kind of grace. And we realize that, we understand that, when we get that at a deeper heart level, it produces this gratitude. We embrace the reality that the gospel is open to anyone and everyone, that it's not just for me, but it's also for you, that it's not just for us, but it's also for them. And that's what allowed you and me to experience this love of Jesus as the outsiders who have come inside of this family. And it changes the way, it has to change the way that we see people, that we interact with people, that it's no longer just about us, but it's about you. It's about you hearing this good news. It's about you coming underneath this king who loves you, who gave his life for you. Even those we'll never meet. It shifts our heart to recognize that no one is too far from the grace of of God, the very proof of it being our own lives. And it should embolden us to not just keep this message to ourselves, but to literally share it in the things that we say and the way that we live. This is one of the things I love about our mission groups. Um, I think about the Afghan Refugee Collaborative that's starting up. Think about coming to this country and not having anything. Talk about feeling like you don't belong. What an opportunity to put the gospel on display to say, you're welcome here. We want to care for you. We want to love you. Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense because he loved me. It's as simple as that. Hope repair. 
going and taking hours out on a Saturday to rebuild a front porch or to build a a ramp so that someone can make it up into their house. Why would you do this for me? Because he loved me and I want to show that love to you. Feed the need, helping those who have found some hard times, difficult times in our community, pass out meals on Saturdays. What does that show? It shows the love of Jesus in a very tangible way. I want to sacrifice my time for you because he sacrificed far more for me. That's what the gospel does. It doesn't only work internally in our hearts. It shifts our hearts to look outwardly to our neighbors, to those that live right across the street, to those we interact with every day, to the person we we randomly meet. None of it's random. God has placed you in places at times to spread this good news. To who? To all. That no one is too far from his grace. Love it. Here's what's great about choosing to worship Jesus. Because we talked about Herod's response and what it leads to. A lot of tension, a lot of paranoia, just feeling worn out, striving that never is fulfilled. Here's what's great about worshiping Jesus is it gives us the approval we really seek, but not man's approval. Because when God looks at you, what he sees is not your sin. He doesn't see all of your mistakes. If you're in Christ, what he sees when he looks at you is his son. He sees his son who came And literally wrapped us and clothed us in his righteousness when we were the outsiders out in the cold. We get that approval. But in a way that's far more meaningful. It offers us comfort. But a different type of comfort. A comfort in life and death. Comfort of knowing that our eternity is secure. Comfort of knowing that we have a place where we belong. We don't have to go it alone. It gives us community. One another in here, to support each other, to love one another, to mourn when we mourn, to rejoice when we rejoice. It gives us a family. And if you're looking for a family, if you've been maybe wandering, you're looking for a church family, or you're you're new to the area, consider One Fellowship. It's a great place to call home. It's a great place to find community and a family, to be known, to be loved, to not be perfect, but to be cared for gives us acceptance and it allows us to love others instead of being consumed by ourselves you get a place in a people you get to belong under a holy king where you absolutely have a place in the family where God has always desired you to be what I love as we finish up about this account is that even though the wise men are making the journey to see Jesus it's God that actually makes the first move It's God that places a star in the sky. It's God that communicates with these men, these outsiders, in a way that they could actually understand. This is the beauty of God's grace and what makes it so wonderful is that it reaches everywhere to anyone. It's not merited. It's completely unearned. And in the same way God placed that star in the sky for these men to see, he has reached down to us and he has brought us out of the depths of death and into life. We didn't first and foremost reach up to God. We didn't meet him halfway. He reached completely down to the rebellious, broken, wayward, beat up, tired, worn out. And he said, I wanna give you something your heart longs for. I want to give you life. I want to give you hope. I want to give you peace. 
I want to give you love and I want you to take it with you everywhere you go. Because my kingdom doesn't have a max capacity (laughs) and we're always welcoming more people in. How does this happen? Grace upon grace upon grace alone. It's the beauty of the gospel. And this gospel isn't just good news for some, but it does require a response from all. And so I would just encourage you, how do you respond today to this? Maybe there are some things that you're just like, I need to give up control. I need need to release this. I need to give up such a strong desire to be approved by others. Maybe Maybe that's because that's something you grew up with or something that you've been told that you need. Maybe it's actually asking God that he would bring healing in a place where there's hurt, where there's been pain, where there's been loss, where there's struggle, where there's been abuse, that he would meet you there. Maybe it's surrendering your future and saying, I've tried to figure out exactly what all this looks like, but honestly, I don't know, but I know you know, and so I want, I want to release this over to you. I want to bend my knee to you. Maybe it's placing your family in his hands, your health, whatever it may be. What will your response be to this king and his kingdom? Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for welcoming us into this family. Thank you for making it possible through your very life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you that this kingdom is not just for some, that this good news is not just for some and very bad news for others, but thank you. Thank you for what this journey of these these astrologers shows us, that you are the king to all nations, welcoming in all people that will accept you, that will trust in you as their savior. So Jesus, would we be that people for anybody in here today that may not even have a relationship with you, maybe that's been hesitant or pushing back or, or holding on to these ideas of, of control or, or whatever it might be, would you release that today? Would you welcome new children into the family today? God, for those of us that just, we feel this tension day in, day out. God, of the things that we strive for, the things that we worship, that, that, that we know aren't right, that we know are not you. Would you allow us to surrender that to you? And God, would you remind us today of just how loved we are, that we have a place in your family, that we belong, that we do not go it alone. And that is because of your goodness, your kindness, your love, and your grace. And for that, we thank you. For that, we worship you. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.